Um, add me to your friends list on Instagram. On it's called Without a Sound Pod, and if you like it, on I think I'm on Apple, uh, Twitcher, Twitch, Twitch, oh, no, not Twitch. Um, but any um on Amazon. So if you find my podcast, please subscribe. It helps. Anyways, thanks for joining me. Um. So um, I have another book recommendation. I kind of talked about this last time. It's called Evil Has a Name by Paul Holes. And it's a really, really good book. I would recommend to get it through Audible. Um, because it's just, um, I don't know, I find it better because not only is the author reading them to you, but in this case, it actually has um, some of those victims that he interviewed come on and give their own, you know, their their own perspective on things in the in the Audible book. So uh, to me, for a long time now, Audible has been the way to go. So that's just my take on Audible. It can be a little bit pricey, but if. If you can, I would do the audible version of some of these books. Anyways, okay. So today's I will be talking about Jenny Maxwell. Uh, she I did hadn't heard about her. I didn't know who she was at all. Um, and when I started reading, it's just very interesting. Um, her story. Well, why she why she became famous. So most of the information that I got was from a um, website called lamag.com. It was written by Hadley, Hadley Mears, Mears um, April 2nd, 2021. So a little bit of background on Jenny. So she was born in Brooklyn on September 3rd. 1941 she is the only child of a Norwegian family who immigrated here she is said to be bubbly strong-willed and charismatic and from an early age she showed passion for acting and the theater so her parents uh lovingly sent her to a drama school they sent her to Violet Hill School of Drama in Brooklyn so she took lessons there and in 1958, she was actually discovered by Vicente Minnelli, and he brought her over to Hollywood. And he brought her over specifically to shoot uh, a test uh, for with Frank Sinatra for the film Some Came Running Once in L.A. And once she was here in Hollywood, she never looked back. She never went back. And... um. Actually, I find it interesting that this is, what, 1958? Her parents just let her go with this strange guy to Hollywood for a test with Frank Sinatra. And I believe she she was a minor. So I don't even think she was 15 at this time. Parents let her come to Hollywood. Again, this is 1958. 
in today's day, I don't think any parent would allow that to happen. Um, okay, so she didn't get the part for that movie with Frank Sinatra, but she kept uh, busy and she kept booking some TV roles on some shows. Uh, one of those was Father Knows Best. And on that show, she actually met an assistant director who was the son of a famous comedy writer. Philip Rapp is the comedy writer, and his son, Paul Rapp, is who she met. Um, so this guy, Paul, had been known to previously date other people. He was in his 20s. He d- dated Sandra D. But according to resources, uh, he fell quickly for Jenny and the two actually eloped on April 17th, 1959. Okay, so 1959 is a year after she's landed in Hollywood and she's 17. Okay, so when she came to Hollywood, she was 16. Still a minor, but still. And still young. So she's 17, right? I guess she's not going to school. She's just kind of booking these roles and kind of living life as a 17-year-old on her own. So she elopes April 17th, 1959. Doesn't tell anybody. Neither one of them tell anybody. And again, she's 17 and Paul is 24 at the time. So... And this is just background on, you know, on her when she first got to Hollywood. And so in 1961, she played a spoiled rich girl, um, which was her most popular movie that got her, you know, kind of known and put out there that she did with Elvis, which was called Blue Hawaii. So in this movie, she becomes famous because in one of the scenes... She comes out and Elvis, she, you know, Elvis is spanking her for being naughty. So that's how she became known as one of the Elvis girls. And it's what, you know, propelled her into kind of stardom. So because she's still young, she is partying. She's, you know, going to parties and um, she was part of the young Hollywood scene at the time. So her friends included Sharon Tate, Peggy Lipton, and it seems her career continued, um, although it was kind of erratic, but it it was still there. She was still, you know, getting some roles. So in 1963, she acted alongside A-lister Sandra D and Jimmy Stewart in Take Her, and She's Mine, and starred as a hillbilly sex spot in the ridiculously camp B-movie Shotgun Wedding. Okay, so her career and home life, because she's partying, she's drinking a lot, it's kind of all falling apart. And she and Rap divorce, and Jenny, they had a son. So eventually she loses custody of Brian, who is her son. Um, And by the mid-60s, she was almost broke. She was estranged from her parents and was only allowed to see her son occasionally. So... You know, that was, I guess, bottom for her. And so she wasn't ready for it because obviously she was so young. But Jenny is a smart girl. She realized things had to change. And she reconciled with her parents, regained partial custody of her son. So she, you know, she definitely looks like she's turning her life around. 
and she actually scored some roles. One of those was on My Three Sons and The Wild Wild West. And so, you know, things seem to be looking out for her. So she's determined to stop acting and focus on being a mother. So she started dating Irvin or Tip Roder, as he's known. He's known as Tip. So he is 20 years her senior. He has five kids. He has a rough reputation and... Uh, he's actually a lawyer, but he used to be a cop. So he is working under Louis C. Blah, who was a Hollywood heavyweight and who represented uh, Stanley Kubrick, Lana Turner, and Barry Gordy. So um, this guy, Roder Tip, uh, was known around Hollywood as the best friend, lawyer, and business manager of former teen star Nick Adams and... Actually, I didn't look up Nick Adams because I didn't know who he was. And it turns out he's this, you know, it was like a, I think it was three guys. I think it was James Dean, Nick Adams, and Elvis. And they were kind of all like really pals, like the three of them. And then there's, beside that, there's kind of rumors about them, you know, being with each other. And so Nick, anyways, going back to Nick, he was actually found... Um, overdosed in his home. So, and the guy who found him was actually Tip Broder. So, you know, it's just kind of like that's where the controversy is because, I mean, James Dean, car accident, right? Elvis and Nick are now dead. So, and then Jenny comes along and Tip is kind of like the, the, that, what does it call that one person tying everybody together? Anyways. So, yeah, so he's known as his best friend and lawyer to some of these high, high end people. Anyways, his reputation had, Jenny didn't care about it. So on February 17th, 1970, she actually married him. They moved on to Cherokee Lane in Beverly Hills, which, oh, when I saw Cherokee Lane, I was like, oh, yes. I used to work in Beverly Hills a long, long time ago. Um... So yeah, it seems that the marriage wasn't that great. It was a bit of a disaster. And by 1978, Jenny had decided she was done. So she was encouraged by her lawyer to wait until the marriage had lasted 10 years so she could get a larger settlement. Um, But as the days ticked by, she you know, ended up divorcing him anyways. She did wait the 10 years, though. Um, there were, It says that their relationship was fragile at best. Um, this guy, uh, Detective Mike Fees, uh, tells the Los Angeles via email that by 1981, they had separated and not just once, but a couple of times. Um, and Jenny had already filed for dissolution and they were living apart at the time of the murders. Numerous interviews with friends revealed that both were engaging in extramarital, I can't say that word, extramarital relationships while they were living together. And even that Jenny would regale Rotor with details of his dalliances. All right. So let's move forward to, um, what happened. So, what is known is that 
On the afternoon of June 10, 1981, shortly after their separation, Maxwell and Roder were shot and killed in the lobby of Maxwell's Beverly Hills condo. Daniel was reported at the time as being a botched robbery. 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 I can't speak today. She was 39 years old. Okay, so before the murder of these two people, Tip, uh, apparently he was upset that Jenny would be getting a hefty divorce settlement, so he was acting kind of weird. Um, he... He tried to disinherit Jenny, Jenny, stating, It is my intention that Jennifer Helene Roeder will receive nothing upon my passing. I do not want a lying, cheating, deceitful woman to profit. And it seems that he was planning for Jenny to be around to contest his new will. Um, and so, this is a quote. Three separate associates of Roeder shared that in the months prior to the murders, Roeder had approached them about retaining a person to kill Jenny and one of her lovers. One of the associates claimed that Roder wanted a person to kill Jenny and Roder himself. All of those associates claimed they rejected Roder's request, but felt certain that he eventually located someone who did. So it seems this is one of like, the murders have actually gone unsolved um, until today. There's still, it's still a cold case open file because no one has come forward obviously and there was kind of very little evidence to suggest or to tell like who did it so this is just one of the theories that you know after they were murdered that came out that someone said that he was looking for someone to kill Jenny and one of her lovers and if that's the case and he was with her and the guy didn't know whoever he hired might have just taken them both out and he wasn't it wasn't something that he planned for himself to be part of um so it seems that jenny jenny certainly wasn't aware of it and she didn't know what tip was up to it says on june 9th 1981 she had minor surgery at cedar sinai and only a block away from her new condo which according to uh, a friend she told if friend that tip had offered to drive her home from the hospital the next day which clearly worried the friend but jenny accepted the ride she had no reason to believe tip wanted to harm her in any way shape or form and they even had lunch but by three fifteen, tip was dying and jenny was dead so that was interesting because that wasn't because I looked up on Wikipedia too, and it, Wikipedia barely has any information, but um, yeah. So I did. So he picked her up, took her to lunch, and then condo, and then they're walking out, and then they're murdered. But Detective Thies says it's his belief that the burglary, because that's what they thought, the burglar theory was a bunk. Nothing had been stolen from the rotors, and rounds of the rare ammo used to kill them were found in Tip Rotors Lincoln Continental. These believes that Tip had probably hired a hitman to murder his expensive, estranged wife. And like I said, he probably didn't realize they were going to do it when he was around. So, um, yeah. So police 
actually were never able to locate a suspect and no leads on the killer's appearances were ever fruitful. This is pre, pre-cell phone, pre-cameras everywhere. So the case can never be closed on the identification of the actual killer. These says detective fees. But I feel we achieved a level of satisfaction in ferreting out the underlying issue in the case. So it says... Um, in their final paragraph of this one article I read, it says, Though the Hollywood press never looked into the rotor slaying for Jenny's family, there is finally something like closure. Um, Morehouse says, I flew down to Florida and I was actually able to let my mom know what happened. And so she got some resolution and then she passed away about a week later. Morehouse says, We knew it wasn't just a botched robbery that never sat well with us. So I'm going to try to find out. And luckily, I didn't have to solve the case because the case was already solved. I talked to the guy who solved it. So Morehouse is like a great um, niece of Jenny Maxwell. And I guess when she left, she became estranged from her family. And kind of the family didn't know about much about what was happening in Jenny's life in particular, apart from what they saw on, you know, the news at the time. Um, and so Morehouse, uh, came and investigated this. So that was great. Um, and she actually, um, I'm sorry, he, he actually has a novel called The Murder of an Elvis Girl Solving the Jenny Maxwell Case. Um, And he actually goes more in depth into his investigation and weaving of the true story because the family, like he said in that last paragraph, never believed that it was a robbery, but more that it, it fits what, what, what I said, like that it was a rotor who hired somebody and he actually came and murdered them both not knowing that rotor was there unless a part of the theory was also that he chose to to want to die as well but i am not sure about that i think it was most likely a mistake that's just me All right, guys, thank you for joining me for today's story on Jenny Maxwell and how um, she was one of Elvis's girls and was murdered and her case still remains unsolved as to who the killer was. But the main story was that it probably related to her separation from her husband and that it was due to him not wanting to pay her alimony or any money. So there you have it, guys. Thanks for joining me. Please subscribe. Uh, Please join me on Instagram on Without a Sound Pod. Find me there, and you can always DM me um, any information you guys, um, any suggestions you have have for me, any book suggestions. I'll try and get more books and, um, and see which books I like. All right, guys. Well, have a great rest of your week and I will see you for the next time. Bye. Without a sound.